Hello and welcome to episode 182 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Butler. Joined today with Melissa Kavanaugh. Hello. And joining us is Pete DeMeo. Hello, everybody, and happy spring. So today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a trio of fueligans. Phil is out on a top-secret mission that we can't talk about, uh, but you're going to have, nonetheless, plenty of value from this episode, because not only do you have three fueligans, each of the three fueligans has three top things that they've learned during the pandemic, and we're going to share those lessons with you, and hopefully, by the end of this, you'll have nine different lessons, unless we overlap that you can take and you can apply to your business as well. So that sounds like a lot of riveting fun, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know about you, but I am very excited. Are you excited, Melissa and Pete? I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't hide it. You know why I'm excited? You're about to lose control? And I think I like it. (laughs) Nice. What, what, Pete? What are you excited about? I'm super excited because there's three fueligans on this. We each have three items. You add that together, it becomes 12. In numerology, that becomes three again. What? Oh, mind blown. <laughs> wow. And I hate numerology, but I have to just keep pushing this, this item. I mean, it's almost a sign. I mean, it's almost like the stars aligned for Phil not to be here today. Otherwise, yeah. this wouldn't have worked at all. And, and, and orders of three would not have not have existed. So that is crazy, crazy, crazy. All right. Well, let's get on with the show, shall we? Let's start out by seeing what's going on in the news of Rouge. Well, you know what? In hotel marketing, you cannot lose. Now it's time for news of Rouge. <laughs> I've been on a few clubhouses recently where people have asked you to, to sing that live, Pete. Yes, you're, you're yes, yes. Really I'm not going to be able to avoid it. I will, I will grace clubhouse with my, my pipes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, really, I think at any point you could just quit this podcast and just start a new one where you just literally sing that and nothing else. People would tune in. <laughs> That's true. I, I think that will work. But so do we have any people? People, people aren't here for that. They're here for this breaking newsaroo. And I like uh, your title for this one, by the way. Oh yeah. So so my title is what the fuck is Google testing now? Federated learning cohorts or FL lowercase oc so everything that and and this is coming to us from eff which is the electronics foundation frontier foundation uh a great it's more of an it's an opinion piece but it also it has a lot of facts about what google is rolling out in terms of the floc tests that they're going to be um, participating in now and we've talked about the death of third-party cookies we've talked about how google's trying to you know create that atmosphere where they really do control the data much, much more granularly. And by going away from cookies, their goal, Google's goal is to replace it with what they call these federated learning cohorts, <clears throat> which is a, think of them as a group of people who visit similar sites, have similar interest, and are likely to behave in certain similar ways. Nobody is specifically ID'd, so there's not a unique cookie that suggests that you are, you know, Stuart or Melissa or 
you know, one of our listeners. But what it does say is that you are part of a group and that group is interested in XYZ type products. So that's what the kind of cohorts are and how Google's going to use those, obviously, to eventually start marketing to the customers. To kind of give you an idea of how many cohorts there are, there are currently, they're using a 50-bit cohort identifier, which means there's 33,872 total co cohorts that a, a customer can fall into. That's a lot of cohorts. It, it is. And obviously, the more granular from a marketing perspective, the better, because I can be targeting people who are interested in beach vacations versus someone who's just interested in vacations moving forward or, you know, any level of granularity, you know, within that realm. But the test is what I think is most controversial. And I think the people on EFF also agree with me on here because the, <clears throat> the test that they're running out is going to be 5% of random Chrome users. So as a customer, you have no ability to opt in or out. The only way you can opt out is just completely disabling third-party cookies for now. But you have no idea if you're in the test. And if you are a website that serves ads, you have no idea if you are in the test. So they're going to be using a combination of cookies and FLOC to make sure that these cohorts start having the the customers that they would expect when they compare it to a traditional cookie. If I've lost everybody, don't feel bad. It's a little bit confusing on how this works, but what it is, it's kind of leading the way to the future cookie-less world that we're heading into. Some of the things that I think are concerning is one, you don't know that you're, take, you're participating in this test. If you're a site provider, you don't know that you're participating in the test. And we really don't know how they're going to be able to truly an anonymize the IDs that are associated with FLOC. So each user will have a unique ID. You're just not going to know who that user necessarily is, which, which can create a lot of, lot of issues. I would say read this article and probably read it twice just to make sure you fully understand it. Because I think there's a lot of ramifications that are going to be coming out for the hotel world, but just web marketing in general, as Google starts disallowing those third-party cookies, which is imminent right now. Yeah, one, one of the things we, we're not sure about as a fallout from the third-party cookie, the death of third-party cookies, is how effective things like re, retargeting are going to be and, and just advertising in general, right? Because it, a lot of it requires some kind of focus, focused targeting to, to a specific audience. And so this is Google's, you know, steps towards figuring that out. What, what is the delta going to be between how effective an ad is today and how effective it's going to be tomorrow? There are estimates out there, but this is how they're going to kind of prove it. But I think to kind of summarize where the, the point of contention is, the whole point of getting rid of third-party cookies is because people don't want their privacy invaded, right? They, they don't want to be tracked. They don't want to be... Uh, forced to do things they don't want to do you know if you look at the laws that have come out over the last few years especially in europe related to having to divulge if you're using google analytics or in some cases in, in places in germany where they've actually physically banned any websites from using google analytics and tracking people in general so 
there's there's a lot of stuff that kind of goes into this, but I, I do share the opinion that uh, this article has, which is I, I don't think it's fair for Google to say, hey, we're doing everything in, you know, to be transparent and honest and, and protect people's privacy, but you also don't have a choice that we're going to track you and do this stuff to you for us to learn and, and improve our products. I think that's that's where the problem is. In, in my specific concern with that is it starts running afoul potentially with uh, GDPR and CCPA, where if somebody requests how my data is being used. Yeah, but it's not PII data, dude. So that, that's how they're getting around it, right? By, by assigning a flock ID there's, and, and not, not allowing anyone to look up personal data from that, that they, they completely circumvent any kind of privacy laws. I think what the laws that they're kind of infringing upon is my right to be tracked, not not my personal data, but my right, right to not be tracked, I should say, um, which which isn't really a thing in, in America yet, but it, it certainly is in, in, in Europe. And to me, it, it just it just smells of um, hypocrisy, you know, when they're talking about being doing everything for the consumer and yet the consumer doesn't have an opt-out uh, option on this test i think that's that's where it's problematic um but well you know stay tuned this is going to evolve we will talk about this i'm sure again in future episodes but pay attention to the results because it's going to have implications related to how how well your ads perform in the future for sure yeah. According to this article, this trial is set to go on until mid-July, so stay tuned. I will definitely be curious to see what information gets released back to the public on the results. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if I were Google, I'd probably talk about this as little as possible other than to say, you know, here's how effective my ads are at some point once they've established the benchmarks for that. But yeah, you, you guys can always stop using Chrome and go... Go back to Firefox if you don't want to be a part of this. I guess that's your choice. Hey, hey Brave is a, is a good option as well. But then it was also just disabling your third-party cookies, which would opt you out of this test. Would it? Yes. Because right now, they're, they haven't completely adopted FLOC. They're running it in tandem with cookies uh, gotcha. for them to, to make sure everything jives. That makes sense. Okay. So they couldn't get any bait, like a control data from you if you're not allowing third-party cookies. There you go. Exactly. That's smart. Okay. Which means if you have both, they should still be able to track you personally. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. What a world. What a world. Yes. Alrighty. In slightly better news, I hear that there's a rumor that perhaps we may have a stat of the week. We do have a stat of the week. <laughs> That's a good one. That was better. That was much better. It wasn't better. the original. I want the original. No, the, the original one, one has been taken down. Unacceptable. We need to go. We said it before. We need to go snip it out of one of those old episodes. I just don't really want to go back through all the old episodes to find one that had it because we didn't always consistently do a stat of the week. Um. But if anyone wants to volunteer to tell us what episode it's in, we'll snag it and put it back in. We can do it in post or, or upload it. To the value is the value is not the robot sound. The value is the stat of the week. Don't talk ridiculous. <laughs> All right, what is the stat? The stat of the week is the following. 
U.S. airports have recorded nearly three weeks of one million daily passengers, and American Airlines said spring bookings are at 90% of 2019 levels. 90% of 2019 levels. Yes. That's pretty, that's pretty good to hear, right? And, yes. and I think it, it begins to change our, our thought process, right? Because we know a lot of that isn't business travel. And we know that more than 10% of travel in 2019 was business travel, which suggests that people are flying on vacations more than they were in 2019, which means that all this stuff we've talked about like focus exclusively on your drive market for, for how long, although you should still really focus on your drive market is the lowest hanging fruit. Don't discount the flight markets. It might be time to really start targeting them, especially if you're in a destination like our hometown model beach, which has just opened up, you know, just Southwest airlines just announced they're opening 10, 10 direct flights um, or 10 destinations with direct flights to, to and from model beach. So those, those are, Plenty of opportunity there to get people into your market. And the great thing is people that fly versus drive tend to book earlier, tend to stay longer, tend to be willing to spend a little bit more. So this is a great opportunity for folks that have been just relying on drive market for so long. I'm curious to see uh, what next week's stats are. Next week's stat will be, it's now been six weeks of (laughs) over a million in payments. It would be my guess. I don't see it happening. I don't know about you. You know, I, I know a lot of folks that are traveling for spring break that's coming up this next week in, in South Carolina, and um, a lot of them are flying. A lot of people in the going to the Caribbean, to Mexico, um, yes, or, or to just cities in the U.S. as well. So I, I think um, people have forgotten this global pandemic, and people are just ready to to get out. And this, although I hate the term, this revenge travel is a real thing. We're seeing demand spike tremendously in a lot of destinations so you you need to make sure you're getting your fair share of what's here in uh flight markets is something you shouldn't overlook as you're doing that there you have it there you have it that's a good stat that's a positive one after, after pete scared us all with his big brother news that's a good <laughs> one. Alrighty, so we, we're going to talk about some lessons it's it's been a year a little over a year now since the lockdown started in the U.S. and since we learned words like coronavirus and COVID-19 and figured out what, what the difference was between them. And um, and the new normal. And yeah, and we, we developed new new normal terms like the new normal and we heard platitudes like we're all in this in the same boat and until we weren't, you know, and, and then people started fighting for themselves and a lot of folks in the hospitality industry who lost their jobs felt like, well, I was in the same boat, but the captain just threw me overboard without a life preserver, and now I'm unemployed. Um, but all, all of that, nonetheless, we've gone through it, we've survived it, um, and we've learned a thing or two along the way, or three along the way. So today we're going to talk about some of the things each of us has learned. We created these lists independently. There's not a lot of overlap, um, although there's sort of similar themes through some of these. So we're each going to do and number one through three, and uh, yeah, we'll discuss along the way. So, guys, who, who, which of you wants to go first? Uh, Stuart, I mean, you're the first one on the list. Do you want to start? You never get to start anything. Oh man, this is this is an unexpected privilege and a pleasure. Yeah, it's just something... that because we want you to at least get some word in before you start talking, but uh, just change it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that that is uh. Yeah, that's a fair point. Well made, Pete. All right. 
So my first one is understanding your customers is more important than ever. This is something we've really preached a lot over the years about, you know, sending out surveys to understand what is going on in your consumer's head, you know, soliciting feedback from them. We've even talked about asking them questions when you're trying to go through a website redesign or designing new ads or whatever it is, get their feedback on that because the more you engage with your customer, the more they feel loyal to you, the more they have affinity with your brand, the more likely they are to come back and stay with you again and again. So we've always known this is you know, something that more hotels should do. But Lord, through the pandemic, with the sentiment studies we've done and the insights we gained from those, we would not have been able to survive as a company. A lot of our clients wouldn't have been able to survive. And we, a lot of our podcast listeners, we've gotten feedback from folks that said, literally your show, the data you've um, pushed out throughout the pandemic, literally stopped us from going out of business. And so understanding your customer, understanding their fears, their motivations, understanding what their expectations are when they come in to travel with you. It's really, really, really important. And I really want to focus on, and I'll talk about this in, in my number two point a little bit more, but making sure that the, the expectations you're setting to the guests through your marketing match the experience that they have when they arrive on property uh, and, and make sure there's not a gap between those two. Because if you get that gap between the perception and the reality, this is when the the loyalty uh, starts to erode. People's word of mouth starts to starts to turn sour. People's reviews start to go negative. And we'll talk about the long term effects of that in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, just listening to your guest, talking to them regularly through real conversations on the property listening to where they're coming from, listening to what their concerns are. That, to me, is is one of the ways we can continue to navigate this successfully. I love it. And, and here's the thing. So we're going to go over these three things each. They're yeah. lessons that we learned, and lessons are only valuable if you apply them moving forward. You can still ask your guest and your customers what they like, what they don't like, and what is going to move the needle, even if there's not a pandemic. So don't wait till you know the next disaster to start engaging your guest. You can literally do that starting now with any pers- property person that is on your property right now. Even if you want to pause the podcast to go talk to somebody, do that. Yeah. But then come back to us. Yeah, but then, but then come back. But, but you know the point being is let's not just take these as lessons and not move forward. Seriously, let's start making some changes and put in good communications with our customers immediately. Yeah, well, man. That's we right paid, we, number one thing. What can I just say before you do, you know, yeah. we, we've paid the tuition fees for this education. Now you guys better apply it. You know, you we better, all paid. You, you know, everyone's paid them a lot. So, you know, yeah. don't, don't have to go back to school a second time. If we don't have to. Exactly. All right, Melissa, carry on. All right. My number one is that change is inevitable. So yes, we had a global pandemic last year, but we get changed from all kinds of things. We've had terrorist attack. We've had natural disasters. We've had economic recessions. Change is going to happen and you can't stop it from happening. It's always happened and it always will. So the question is, are you going to be the property that adapts to the change? Are you going to embrace the change and thrive or are you just going to basically roll over and die? How about that? 
Yeah, I'd choose the first option, please. So during the pandemic, you know, there were clients and properties that took the time that they now had on their hands that they've never had before to evaluate all of their operating procedures. They had time to look at their tech stack and evaluate what was working and what wasn't working. And if they were, where's their room for improvement? And then there were just other properties that just closed their doors and went away. I mean, that's unfortunately the reality, but you know, this, the, it, like I said, this time it was a pandemic. What's tomorrow gonna bring? I don't know, I'm not, I can't forecast the future, but I guarantee something is going to happen sometime in the future that is going to make you rethink all the things that you've already thought and you're gonna have to react to it. Roll with the punches, figure it out. You can Amen. do better. Preach sister, yep. preach, love it. So you might be uncertain right now kind of hearing what Melissa had to say, but I have an answer for how you can plan for change. And that's my number one, which is have a plan for change and be ready to implement it quickly. So to me, one of the things that I, I, I really learned when, when this started was how many marketers, how many government officials and people in general had normalcy bias and kept rejecting the fact that something massive was changing. And as a result, a lot of marketers and hoteliers were caught behind the power curve and getting ready for this disaster. You know, it went from something overseas to something here in the United States in our case, and all of a sudden to something massive before anybody realized, okay, hey, I need to make a massive change to this. And the hoteliers who had a plan, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, Hilton specifically, they had a plan, they were able to roll it out quickly. They had put the forethought in before they had to react and because of that, you're able to react more calmly and you can react much more quickly. So now that COVID's still fresh on everyone's mind and we're really not past COVID completely either, start making a plan for the next thing that comes down the road. Uh, you know, some of the things I would say is, you know, your cost savings plan. You know, if we know we have to tighten our belt, know what you need to tighten now and plan on rolling that out. But then also look at things like we knew government assistance was going to be coming the people who filed early for PPP or whatever it might have been had such an easier time going through this whole process. So have your cost savings plans, have your operational plans, and have your communications plans ready to go so that the moment it seems like something is changing, you don't have to necessarily react right away, but at least you can dust off those plans and say, okay, I'm ready should something have to take action. Love it. I really like it. And I'm really liking how these kind of interweave together, even though we hadn't planned it this way, because we didn't have a plan for that. But <laughs> my number two is about don't lose sight of the long term because you're too focused on the short term. So when you're developing these plans, make sure you're thinking about it strategically and what the long term implications are, because the plans that people developed early in COVID we're very much focused on the short term without consideration of maybe we're deferring a problem, but we're also making a problem worse. And I, I'll give you a prime example of that. And I already kind of alluded to this in my first one. But when, we, when a lot of properties were faced with the reality of I've got to cut costs dramatically, some of them went 
to extensive measures to try to protect the employees. And even if they had to furlough or reduce reduce salaries or let people go, they did it in a way that was caring, that told the individuals that everything I've been saying for years about how we're family and how people come first in our, our business is true, right? There were people that did that. And then there were the other people that were so panicked and focused on their short-term plan without thinking about the long-term repercussions. And they just cut people loose with a see you later, right? It's, it's like I said earlier, the captain of the ship threw people overboard without a life preserver. And that's how a lot of people felt. And what ended up happening there was people were disenfranchised. They felt betrayed. They felt hurt. They felt scared. And they either, one, left the industry completely, never to come back to hospitality, or two, now that things are beginning to turn around and, and we're actually getting some demand in a lot of destinations, the big challenge is now finding staff, right? A lot of people are very, very much understaffed and desperate to find people, but the people aren't willing to go work for them because they know how they were treated last time. So this is an example where you lose sight of the long term because you're so focused on the short term. So when you're developing these plans, really, really, really think about the repercussions. I'll give you an example of how you can apply this thinking today because I think a lot of people are going to get caught with their pants down if they're not careful. So because we're seeing this surge in demand, a lot of people we've talked about have more disposable income than they've ever had. They've been pen- they've been shut shut up inside for so long. They're ready for that vacation and their expectations are through the roof, right? They're ready to go out and have the vacation of a lifetime. They're willing to spend a little bit more about more for it. And they expect the moon, they expect things to be not just be back to normal, but things to be better than ever. And then they show up at your property and your property doesn't deliver on the experience that you promised. And you end up getting customers that are unhappy. You end up getting negative reviews. You end up getting poor word of mouth. You end up getting zero repeat business. And although you can make a lot of money in 2021 that way, and that's the focus a lot of people are taking, they're jacking their rates because the demand is so high, they're charging two, three times the, the daily rate that they were maybe two years ago, it's going to that's gonna exacerbate the problem that's looming, which is in 2022, you're going to hit a burst of that bubble. You might enjoy 2021, but the burst of that bubble is going to take years and years to recover from. So... The, the chaos caused by COVID-19 for 12 months is going to pale in comparison to the damage you're going to do for the next two, three, five, ten years by, you know, not being genuine with your guests right now, not setting appropriate expectations, not charging a fair price because you know you can get a higher price because we know that guests aren't um, price sensitive right now as much as they typically are. They value things like location, distance, um, quality of the product more today than they did uh, compared to price. So just be careful that when you're doing these, making these decisions every single day, you're thinking about what, you know, Tim Peter says it so beautifully and he stole it from Paul Virilio. But when you invent the ship, you invent the shipwreck and you are potentially with every decision you make, you're creating new ships, but you're also potentially creating new shipwrecks that may not happen today or tomorrow, but someday the collector is going to come call in and you're going to be in trouble. So that is my number two. Think about the long term while you're focused on the short term as well. Well, a lot of what you just said rolls into my number two. 
how about that? What People are really going to think we really did plan this out, but no, it's not. genuinely we didn't. It's really cool. We just think alike, and you know, it, it just works well. That's why we're a good team. So while my number one was change is inevitable, my number two is that some things never change. And the fact is that we are in the hospitality industry and our top priority should always, always, always be to serve our guests in the best way possible. And that means understanding that every person is unique. It is not a visit to your website. It is not a confirmation number. These are people, human beings that are interested in coming to stay with you or are staying with you. And every one of those person, every one of those persons, every one of those people has unique needs. So that means providing timely and useful information in the most effective way for each person. It means setting those expectations, as Stuart just said, so that when your guests do arrive on your property, they come away with a positive experience and they want to share that experience with their network of friends and family. It's all about being hospital, hospitable. Boy, I cannot speak today. Um, and, and that's what we're all about. And that is never gonna change, no matter what other circumstances are going on in the world, you need to be hospitable and you need to understand that people are people no matter what and they want to be treated as people not as digits or robots or oh, animals oh no. i want to be treated like a robot that would be pretty <laughs> awesome but your point is well made and i'll I tell you what this is as as burned as your buttons get on a lot of subjects i think one of my biggest pet peeves in the industry is how we treat people differently online than we do in real life. You know, whether that be on the, over the phone or at the front desk, we just assume somehow they're lesser than because we can't see them or hear them. We don't assume that they're real people. We don't place the same value on them that we would anyone else. It's, you know, it manifests in all kinds of ways. You know, the simplest example is when we encourage people to, to use some kind of live chat tool on their website. And they say, well, we just don't have the staff to do that. Like, well, do you have the staff to answer questions on the phone? Is someone answering the phone? Yeah, we would never not answer the phone. That would be crazy. We'd be leaving money on the table. It's like, aha, exactly. You're doing the exact same thing online when people have questions and you're not there for, to fulfill them. So, yeah, I, I love this one, Melissa. I think it's a really, really good one. Thanks. Cool. All right, so on to my number two. And you got to find it's, a way to tie it together, Pete. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about treating people fairly. And, you want to figure out what people need, and you want to be able to adapt to the things that they do need. Uh, that's a weak association, but uh, my that's a good segue, is, man. I sell it. Yeah. I just sell right, it confidence. So, so, people will believe it. All right. And that's why treating people nice is exactly the same as being nimble and being adaptable. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I combine both of those because you really have to be both nimble to understand something's changing and you have to be adaptable to actually affect that change. Even if you're a smart hotelier and had a plan like my number one item, you're going to have to know when to roll that out and you're going to have to be ready to you know, roll with the punches. So I go back to the perfect example of Hilton where they had a plan, but they very quickly in early March saw that 
the customer was changing. The customer was very concerned about how they could cancel a stay at a property without getting burned in terms of losing their, their money. Hilton came out right away, changed their cancellation policy, and did the right thing by the consumer. But because they were so nimble and saw what was coming, they had that ready to go, and they beat every other property to the punch in terms of adapting to what the customer specifically needed, not six months ago, not 30 days ago, but right then, early March 2020. It's so important that we kind of continue to think that way. Uh, it, and it's not just in how your customers behave and where the market is going, but I think it also has to do with how marketing is changing. So if, if we look at the marketing tools that we had March 2020 compared to what we had in March 2021, we had things like you know a lot of new search tools come out from a paid search perspective. We had all kinds of changes to Google Hotel ads and MetaSearch. TripAdvisor Plus came out. And all these different things evolved from the changing world that we live in. And if you're adaptable and you're paying attention, you're able to jump on those opportunities during times of disaster or a pandemic and make the most of it before all your competitors jump in as well. So even though we're, we're pulling back and battening down the hatches to, in some extent, you still want to be able to look around and see where those opportunities are and adapt to the new world that we're in. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you hear the word agility thrown around a lot over the last year. And, and and to me, that what you're talking about is, you know, the flexibility, adaptability, being being not only capable of quick change, nimble change, but also willing, like you said, is, is critical. And it's really what separated the, the people that have really struggled from the people that have navigated this fairly well. You know, the ones that have navigated well all share that characteristic. They've all been willing to change and adapt. Um, you know, I was I was in an award show last night for our local um, chamber and CBB. They were giving out a ton of awards, and I had to present on um, Entrepreneur of the Year for 2021. And it was a, a, a guy that owned a business, uh, which was golf lessons. His his name's um, Darren Demaley with uh, Myrtle Beach. No, what is it? Best golf lessons, Myrtle Beach is his business. So if you're ever in, if you're in the Myrtle Beach area, or you're ever in here and you want good golf lessons, uh, Darren Demaley won the Entrepreneur of the Year for the Chamber in 2021. And the reason he won, you know, amongst a bunch of people, I mean, golf is a massive industry in the, in the Myrtle Beach area, and a lot of people are offering golf lessons. And a lot of them, when COVID hit, what they did is they sat there. And they said, well, I can't offer golf lessons anymore because people don't want to be face-to-face. And so they just sat and waited, right? And they maybe claimed unemployment or, or whatever. They just they didn't do anything but wait. Uh, but what Darren did with his company was he was a, a, the first that I saw and probably one of the first in, in the country to develop a set of protocols that would keep him and his customers safe. And he published them and he sent them to all his customers and said, listen, I know you're scared, but here's all the things that we're doing to prevent you from catching COVID-19. And if if you're comfortable with it, I'd like to continue offering you golf lessons. Um, but he went more than that. R- rather than just showing that, that in- inventiveness and um, creativity, 
He also understood that consumers were at different points and they needed choice. So in addition, you know, this small mom and pop business figured out on his own how to start offering online golf lessons in, and offered the virtual lessons, offered to analyze, you know, swings and things like that. You could use an app or, or take videos of your swing and he would analyze it. So, you know, he, he reinvented his business. He adapted to the needs but also created new solutions based on those needs as well. And that's that's the spirit that a lot of businesses didn't take on during COVID. And that's why they've struggled. And, and everyone's capable of it. It just takes a little bit more effort than, than the average person. But that's I like this one a lot. Cool, that's a cool story. And I think it, it sort of shows the ability of the small business to be able to be potentially more nimble than a giant corporation that you know and it gives it really gives independent hoteliers that advantage over a giant mega brand because yeah. they have to go through all the red tape and all the things to get a single thing done and we know how long that that can take versus an independent hotelier that he only has to answer to himself yeah, or herself I mean, Think about the the flags right now. You got like Hilton's and Merits of the world that not, not only are they big machines that take a while to turn, right? And and to they, they don't they're not set up for agility, but they also let go of thousands and thousands of employees that had institutional knowledge and roles, and so they've made that complex ecosystem infinitely more difficult to navigate. So yeah, I agree 100%, Melissa, that the the independent hotels are primed to to navigate this sort of situation infinitely more effective than than a flag at this point. You have more tools at your disposal. You can be more creative. You're, you're in control of everything. You don't have to rely on others to do it. It's really, this is the era where if you're a flag and you've been thinking about deflagging and becoming independent, now is the time you want to really really consider that because you can probably get out of your contract because they haven't hit, hit their benchmarks. And the opportunity is right in front of you if you're willing to, to put in the effort. All righty. Is it my turn again? It's your turn. You awesome. can go from speaking to speaking. All right. This is a rarity on the show. All right. So my third one is that you're only as strong as your community. And, and that I could replace that word community with family because I feel that way about my community. And when I'm talking about community, you know, I, I'm talking about this from a business perspective and a personal perspective. You know, this this past year was hard. A lot of people had a lot of emotions. They had a lot of real struggles, a lot of hurdles to overcome. And I, I know, you know, from a fuels perspective, without the, you know, first and foremost, the support of the team, the fueligans themselves, the can-do attitude, the smile on their face, they were willing to put in 110% every day to make sure that we survived. Um, without the support of our vendors and partners who were more than generous and flexible with us when we went to them and said, we need your help, you know, can we defer payment? Can we get some relief? And they were willing to do that because we had great relationships and they understood the value in long-term relationships with us um, and, and that they were invested in our success, you know, just like we were with our clients as well. To our clients, you know, who were understanding of us as, you know, we went through challenges ourselves and maybe our level of um, service took took dips at certain times, right? They, they were more than understanding. And, and while we worked really hard for them every day, we, we, you know, certainly dropped some balls along the way and 
were willing to pick them up, but we needed the the patient's understanding from our clients. And then you know, to the extended family of, you know, whether that's the the Fuel Nation, the, the honorary Fueligans listened to this podcast that gave us words of encouragement or, you know, the plethora of relationships we've developed in our fellow hospitality professionals, you know, fuel, th- th- there's no two ways about it without the community, without that family of and that ecosystem, fuel would not have survived, period, throughout this pandemic. We, we needed to lean on a lot of people. And, and we reciprocated that in some ways. You know, we were the person that a lot of other people leaned on as well. And so um, that togetherness was, was great. And then from a personal level, I really feel like I would not have been able to survive this without um, you guys listening, without you guys talking to me right now on the show, the rest of the Fueligan team, without my friends and family in the in the hospitality industry who, who were, you know, my therapists at time. They were my coaches. They were my, um, you know, the comedians that I needed when I, I had to have a laugh because things were, were dire. I was feeling so much burden related to the stress of the situation and the grief that a lot of people were feeling throughout this. So I really, um, you know, I've always appreciated you guys. I've always appreciated everyone that influences everything Fuel does and that I do personally. But I really, really appreciate it at a whole nother level today than I did a year ago because I mean candidly fuel and I and I'm not overstating this may not have survived had had it not been for you guys so that was the lesson that I learned and and I'm committed to reinvesting back into those relationships to make sure that they stay strong and that I'm there for those folks when they need me as well so that is my number three well, that is awfully nice, Stuart. And you know what I have to say about that? What's that? People will remember how you treated them, Stuart. <laughs> this, this is very true. And this is your number three. What a good segue. This is my number three. I think some famous person, it could have been Abraham Lincoln, Maya Angelou, I don't know. Some, some famous person said, you may not remember what people said, but they'll remember how they were treated. Or I'm sure I completely messed that up. Anywho. <laughs> doesn't matter. Someone quoted something like this once. Yeah. Yes. So my point is during the pandemic and forevermore going forward, we always need to do the right thing by our guests. So during the pandemic, did you make it simple and affordable for your guests to change their plans as travel restrictions changed, as everything changed? Or were you a butthole and made them, you know, lose their deposit and make them really grumpy and they're going to remember how you made them feel and maybe possibly not come back to your property because of that? Did you do the right thing by your employees? So we talked about this earlier, whether regardless of what had to happen, whether your property had to close for a certain amount of time, whether you were allowed to stay open, whether you had to lay people off or you were allowed to keep everybody there's a right way and a wrong way to treat people. And did you actually treat your employees in a respectful, humanistic way that they would want to stay with you in those rough times and or come back to you when you reopened? Because I will tell you what, in all of the clubhouse uh, rooms I've been in, in every webinar, in just everything that I'm seeing everywhere, I've not seen one single hotel say, I am fully staffed and ready to go. Nobody is saying that. 
I have not heard one single property saying I'm fully staffed. People cannot get people back to work in the properties right now. And I think that uh, this is possibly a good reason why, because their employees have not been treated well when all of this happened. But also, aside from employees, did you work within your own community to give support and get support from local businesses or sharing information with even your local competitors? Because the bottom line is, if you can't get people to your destination, it doesn't matter if you survive or your competition survives, nobody's going to survive. Like You need to work together. There are some things that you can help each other with, even though you are technically competitors or even from different destinations, you know, if you've got information, if you've got connections from other types of similar destinations, share that information, share what's going on and see what you can learn from each other. And then my last little snippet is building stronger relationships with your friends and family. And why is that? Because if you didn't do that, you're probably not doing your best work at work either. It all comes full circle. It's all related. As much as we like to think that we compartmentalize our lives, we really don't. And so what happens at work comes home and what happens at home comes to work. So build those relationships everywhere. Yeah, really, really good. I looked up your quote. Um... It was Maya Angelou. You're exactly right. She, oh, see that. Yeah, she said that people don't remember what you said, and they won't remember what you did, but they will remember how you made them feel. And uh, had a really cool story. One of the things I really love about Clubhouse is you just get to meet interesting people and hear these interesting stories. And so there was a lady that was on um, on a, a room the other day, and it's a property. It's her third property she's owned. And she was talking about her her mother is is worked at the hotel with her for for a long time, and she's worked at the three hotels that or the two hotels they had before this one. But people, she's got she's one of these ladies that just has the gift of remembering everyone she meets, right? So people will come and stay at the property, and then they'll come back the next year, and she'll remember exactly who they are and where they um, visited from, and that they have kids or whatever. So she, she's just one of those people that is just born to be in hospitality and. Her mother, in, in the relationships that she's built with these guests, have meant that they have guests that have followed them as they've changed property. They've sold a property, bought a new property. The guests that went to the old property shift their behaviors and start going to the new property. And then that happened again. So people are following them because of the experience and the way that they, the, the staff, in the ownership, make the guests feel. And we see that in reviews, right? How many times have you seen where there's like someone in the, maybe you offer some kind of breakfast and there's, we have a handful of hotels that have someone that, that's at an omelet station and they're just larger than life, have this great personality and just get people's breakfast off to a great start and their days and their vacations off to a great start and people will reference it year after year in the reviews and they'll come back looking for that one staff member that just lit up their day just a little bit and so people really do remember how other people make them feel you know they don't come into your hotel uh, again and again because the building facade is nice or you have a great porta cachet they're coming because of the way you make them feel and there's a lot of components to that but the biggest one is how you treat them and the people the staff that you have on, on property so another cool story yeah I, I, hey clubhouse is full of cool stories if you're not on clubhouse and you're not asking lots of questions you're missing out it's great and if you guys need some invites, I've got a couple 
So hit us yeah, up. We got a few left. We, we had yeah, a few. I have a few too. Yeah, we have, um, we've had a handful of um, listeners have reached out and we, we've, I don't think we've ever gotten to a point where we ran out of invites. So if, if you're still looking for a clubhouse invite or you're still wondering what clubhouse is, go back a couple of episodes. We did a whole episode dedicated to clubhouse. The sound quality is a little jank- janky because we actually did it live streamed on clubhouse, but the content is will explain exactly what it is. So, all right, all right Pete, that leaves you, buddy. Yeah. So my third one is completely the same as you guys. <laughs> so mine is be a servant. And I think this kind of, it, it's a better summary of what you guys both said. But <laughs> <laughs> you get a one up us on our own. Yeah. So you and, just and, changed and it because, after we finished. I know you because did. It's, because it starts with now more than ever. Oh, yeah, you win. <laughs> so, ding, ding. you know, if it's uh, the company or, or the people, everyone sh- should be stepping up right now to do everything you can to help others. And that's not just helping your, your guest. Yeah, I think, you know, Stuart and Melissa, you guys both mentioned helping your staff, helping your community, but just going above and beyond to be a true servant and a true hotelier to everyone that you work with. Because right now it's it's so important that we all roll up our sleeves and just go above and beyond. And we don't mean this, I don't mean this necessarily purely in a philanthropic way only, because it does have great marketing executions as well. I mean, I think one thing that we've seen was a lot of people did a really good job of is a lot of, you know, exotic destination properties would start doing, you know, virtual tours of their property or hotels that had phenomenal restaurants on site would have, you know, guest chef or recipes from the chef or videos of, you know, whatever it might be. But being a servant in that you can take the experience that a guest will be paying you for and try to give them virtually for free if you can. Just going at, you know, thinking of what those customers want, what your family and your friends need, and being proactive and just making it happen for them. I mean, to, Melissa, to Melissa's point, I mean, people are going to remember how they were treated. And right now they may not be able to reciprocate, but as we're coming out of this pandemic, people are going to remember who actually took care of them and they're going to want to return that favor. Yeah. Be a servant. That's like my, my mantra for 21 is I love it. Yeah. Servant leadership and, and, and taking the first step just to be a a nicer world. We have a kind of crappy place. Sometimes we we can, we can bring light to it. Yeah. What, what is it? Buddha says life is suffering. Yeah. We, we can, we can make it a little more tolerable with our actions. I think that was also, that was also Maya Angelou. Or Melissa Kavanaugh, we're not yeah. sure. But yeah, I mean, I mean, as you go about your daily life, just just consider other people a little more. Be a little nicer, you know. There was I'm, I'm full of stories today. So my wife and I have been taking these walks around the neighborhood um, a lot recently, and we cross a fairly busy road right near our house, um, and to get to the beach, and we'll walk along the beach, and then we'll come back. And a few nights ago, we were, we we're on our way back, and there's a median in the it's like a six lane highway but there's a median in the middle right so we wait on one side for the the cars to to clear and we'll walk and stand in the median and so we've done this probably 50 times plus never had an issue so we do this the other night we get to the middle of the median and for some bizarre reason a car decides to stop in the fast lane of traffic coming and 
offer us the opportunity to cross, even though there's cars buzzing along in the other two lanes. So there was no way for us to physically cross, right? So we try to wave them on and they, they, they don't get it, right? They're clearly making a mistake. They probably regretted it the minute they did it. And people are honking them um, from behind because they just stopped the fast lane of traffic. And then finally, like it gets to a point where the other two lanes are clear. So we cross in front of them. And this guy that had stopped and had been honking the person that, that had stopped whizzed out from behind that car, ran right by us at high speed, almost like in a threatening way, and cussed us out and acted like we were the biggest idiots in the world, right? We were, in reality, we were guilty of nothing more than trying to cross a road, right? And there's not a crosswalk anywhere near there, so we, we had no choice. Someone else made a mistake of stopping, and, and apparently it was so, you know, traumatic for this one person that they had to be a complete jerk about it and so you know we see incidents like this all the time where people are intolerant they don't think of others they don't uh give other people the benefit of the doubt and there's this phenomenon i forget what it is in psychology but the 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 crux of it is when we make a mistake we we definitely see it as it was a mistake that we made caused by something else and we we tend to neglect it but when someone else does something we apply intent to that more than we would on ourselves like when we make a mistake it was an honest mistake when someone else makes that same mistake we assume that they intended to do it and it's just it's human nature and i get it but we we all need to be a little more tolerant and serve others and think of others before ourselves a little more i want to go and yell at that person for you yeah, but that wouldn't help. You're guilty of the exact same thing they're guilty of, right? I mean, I don't know. That guy might have just had a really bad day. Um, so I, I forgive them, but it's just, it was unnecessary, you know? And my wife and I had a good laugh about it, but it's just, you know, it's just, I don't know. People just need to have a little more empathy, I think, in general. But I do love that all three of our final points were kind of overlapping, right? It's about people. It's about community. It's about serving others. It's about... You know, being, to your point, Pete, an innkeeper in the truest sense of the world, putting the hospitality back into hospitality. And, you know, one of the things I'm seeing right now, especially from ownership, right, they're really saying there's a demand. We can really jack the rates up as fast as we want. It doesn't seem to be slowing down the demand. So let's 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 make up for all the lost revenue from 2020 and milk these people for every penny we can right now. It's just not the hospitality way, and it's very short-sighted. It's going to come back and bite you in the butt. So just just be sensitive. Listen to all these points that we made because they're all sort of intertwined, right? It's don't don't lose sight of the future. Don't treat your guests with disrespect. Make sure you know how they feel, and, and just be a good person and a good innkeeper, and you're going to be just fine no matter what the world throws at us. So that was good. Love it. Oh, some words of wisdom right there from. I want. I wonder what Phil's three would have been. Hmm. Hmm. Similar. Hmm. Maybe we'll have to Pro- ask him. Doing the probably addendum. brand PPC. Yeah. Meta proper search. Yeah. A, pro- yeah. Proper heading structure. Yeah, and probably. Yeah. yeah um, don't forget your core web vitals. That would have been. P- yeah, I think that's what his were. Yeah, for sure. The fastest contentful paint. That would be as big as. <laughs> Can Google just speak in English? Can they just yeah. stop making up things? Yeah, they should. Now they do it to confuse us so that we don't pay attention to the evil that they're doing. I think that's what it is. Must be it. 
Hi guys. Well, this was a good one. I feel like it was therapy for us. Hopefully our audience got something out of it. We did jot some, down some notes. So if you want to kind of read through the stuff we talked about today, uh, then you can go to fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 182. And if you have questions for us, or you need help with your marketing, uh, then you can always reach out to Fuel at info at fueltravel.com. And we'd love to hear from you about anything that's on your mind. Uh, you can also join us in the Hospitality Marketing Club on Clubhouse at 8 a.m. and noon Eastern, uh, Monday through, we're on the 8 a.m. Monday through Friday, and we're on the noon Eastern, uh, Monday through Thursday. You can come chat with a fueligan in real life if you want. There's usually one of us in those rooms. So hopefully you'll reach out and we'll we'll build those relationships and we can help each other through the next phase of this pandemic. And Pete, if yeah. they want to find out more about you or communicate with you directly, what's the best place for them to do that? Well, on LinkedIn, I'm Pete DeMeo, P-E-T-E-D-I-M-A-I-O, and the same handle on Clubhouse. Cool. And Melissa? I am on LinkedIn and Clubhouse at Melissa Cavanaugh, K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. Thank you, ma'am. And you can find me on LinkedIn and Clubhouse at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T. You can find us collectively on social medias at Fuel Travel. Again, notes to today's show, fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 182. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I think we always have something stupid to say. <laughs> <laughs>